0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. It's Friday, and uh, I just want to let everybody know I am COVID and syphilis free still, which I'm pretty happy about. And I have got uh, two very, very good longtime friends on the uh, the podcast with me, and uh, that is Butch Whiting and Josh Claghorn, uh, owners of Cryptic Camo. What's going on, fellas? How's
1: it going, Aaron? Good Morning. Uh, <laughs>
0: it's good on my end although i have to say uh josh you do not seem overly happy to be up this early am i uh, taking that the wrong way
2: no it's quarantining time it's time for uh late nights and drinking not early morning podcast <laughs> <laughs> is this uh
0: your guys is this your first podcast or have you done them before
1: we've done some before in the past gotcha. we're not hyper aggressive about it like like other people we know like you but yeah
0: yeah, I, I kind of have to be hyper aggressive, or I won't have one because uh, I have to shit out at least one a week. <laughs> Roger. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, why don't you guys, for for those listening, um, why don't you guys give a little bit of backstory about your friendship, um, where you know cryptic, kind of the the birth of it. I mean, I know the story. Um, it's pretty interesting, and a little bit about your guys' careers in the military, and uh, kind of go from there.
1: Sure, man. Yeah, we uh, we kind of taken it for granted a little bit, but it's always good to refresh and and kind of look back because uh, it is humbling at times. So, yeah, Clayhorn and I served in the military together. Claycorn was a former Navy Special Warfare that then transitioned to the U.S. Army and uh, became a, a warrant officer. And I flew um Apache Attack Helicopters and then he was uh he was selected to fly Apache attack helicopters. At the end of the day we ended up in the in the same unit um and uh Clayhorn was uh one of my junior warrant officers and um I ended up becoming uh super tight with him because he was an extreme audacious trigger puller and uh I was his commander and ended up we ended up flying all of our missions together in Talifar, Iraq. At the time, we were fighting under H.R. McMaster, who then became the national security advisor for Trump. But at, at that time, he was the third armored cavalry regiment commander. And we were his only H-64 um, Apache longbow uh, element. And so um, I think that we ended up probably flying about 95% of our Missions together over a year, and when we weren't flying and doing uh, doing missions, um, we were still on the same cycle. And so we would reminisce and we would talk about you know our adventures growing up and our hunting experiences and so on. And basically, daydreaming about being home hunting because at that point I think that after 9/11, this was in this was in about 2006-2007 time frame. We'd been gone for four years and missed a lot of hunting seasons and a lot of time um with friends and family. And uh so the bottom line was is that we came up with this concept, this idea, how cool would it be to be in the uh in the outdoor hunting industry um and still sustain your family lifestyle. And um and that's kind of where the idea of cryptech uh was born was in Califar, Iraq. With uh, Claycorn and I, you know, becoming really close both while we were pulling triggers and then also when we were, you know, just had some downtime daydreaming about uh, what it could be like to be in the, uh, in the industry. So it kind of went from an idea uh, to a concept and uh, we wrote down the ideas and one of those ideas um, that we had in there was to spiral functions and features out of apparel specifically in spec ops into the civilian hunting market. And, um, in 2009 Cabela got a hold of that business model and they called up out of the blue and they said, we absolutely love this tactical hunting crossover. We've tried to do this ourselves, but we've never been successful at it because we don't have any authenticity or credibility. We'd like to, we'd like to talk with you. So, we went to Sydney, Nebraska, and actually met with these guys. And um, in 2010, 2011, 2012, about the time Aaron we really started to get to know each other, the only place you could really buy Cryptic was, was at Cabela's. And when we first started, we actually were in a Mothwing Mountain Mimicry. That was the first uh, iteration of Cryptic Apparel. And uh, Cabela's kind of drove us in that direction a little bit. At that time, you know, Sitka had transitioned. Gore-Tex came in and did the hostile takeover. And basically when that occurred, they went from Mothwing Mountain Mimicry to Gore Optifade And there was a, a niche um, opportunity, I think Cabela saw, to come in um, in Mothwing Mountain Mimicry and uh, see some market share. But... We didn't know what we were doing at all. We just had left the military. In fact, I, at that time, Claycorn was still in the military, and um, they made a shit ton of money, and we didn't make any money. <laughs> we, The money we did make, we turned all back into gear and gave it all away. So that's when hobby phase started for Cryptex.
0: Um, I remember talking to you about that because uh, we would have like, um, what do you say, especially when you're drinking a little, when you go into the spirit world, you would be like, you know, I— Look back, and I love what I've done for my country, but uh, it sure would have been nice to have 15 years of clothing experience rather than 20-plus years of pulling a trigger because I have no (laughs) fucking idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I think those were your exact words, actually.
1: (laughs) No, that's exactly true. I mean, we were, um, it's been baptism by fire, and, and, you know, the cut and sew partners and the guys we started off with, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it, it was a, a long, expensive education on our part. Um, so, you know, the, the start at Cabela's was kind of a, you know, a cool deal. I can remember getting a Cabela's catalog and we were like, you know, big thick ones they used to send out. And there was, you know, around two, two pages in there. But then, uh, I think the big first, you know, real break for us is when the U S army camo improvement effort came out and we had aspirations to develop our own camouflage already, and there was a lot of discussions and conversations about, you know, what that might be and how that might look. But when the U.S. Army Camo Improvement effort came out, that really accelerated our efforts with developing our own camouflage. And you know, so the inspiration for the cryptic original family of camouflage patterns was uh, camouflage netting, and that was based off of. Our personal experience and all the time in Afghanistan and Iraq, seeing all the coalition you know, units and then also seeing what was the most effective passive concealment measure on the battlefield, which was camouflage netting. And that became the inspiration for our family of camouflage to take that three-dimensional aspect with the distorted hexagons in the mesh or in, in the net and then the fabric woven in and out, which is the blurring that you see in the cryptic camo. And then um, put that onto a two dimensional surface with the constraints of, uh, of printing. So, you know, this was a pretty significant uh, solicitation by the Department of Defense, and um, we tackled it, and it was really Claycorn and myself working remotely on our laptops and, uh, and cell phones, and we had some third party consultants that we brought in to help us to get the files correct. And according to the specs that the U.S. Army had requested and required. But, you know, went into the phase one testing, and that was a year long. They took uh, 900 soldiers and put them in a room, and they evaluated the camouflage doing. what was called a PIP or a picture inside of a picture, and the soldiers had a halo device that dropped down and tracked their retinas, and um, they basically measured in microseconds how long that took. And the longer it took, the better. And ultimately, we got down selected, uh, to, you know, from, we started with 60 some odd companies to the final four. And, um, those other three companies were all monsters, like billion dollar companies. So you had Cry Precision with their multi-cam variants. Um, you had Blanick Dive Supply, who had partnered with Guy Kramer out of Canada and Brookwood and then Cryptech. Cryptic was myself and Claycorn, just a couple of former soldiers. We are the only guys that had any real combat experience and, um, and we're only the only veteran owned company that was in that race. So there was a lot of exposure that came out at that time. And then, um, we, they went into phase two testing, which took the better part of two years. And, you know, the military was testing in infrared and shortwave infrared with under night vision goggles. They're also doing testing all over the world, naked eye acquisition testing with all the FOBs, Africa, Afghanistan, Iraq, and then also at all the military installations in the United States. And ultimately, um, the results of that was the winner was supposed to be the camouflage selected for the U.S. Army. And um, it became very, very evident that uh, this it started to move extremely political. And there was lobbyist groups involved and a lot of politics and a lot of things that were super naive to. At that time, you know, we came from a culture where the best was the best and your word was your word and if you said something you're, you know, gonna do it and never once, you know, thought about, you know, having guys lobby for us in Congress and so on and so forth. But ultimately what happened out of that whole deal, out of the phase two testing, was that uh Congress had passed a bill that said the entire U.S. military was all going to go to the same camouflage in 2018, Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, Porter Patrol, anybody federally funded. And they never released the phase two test results. And they never announced a winner after they had spent like you know $10 million testing this camouflage. And we were more than convinced that, uh, and we know for sure that we had won that, Um, and we should have been selected, but with that all said, you know, we didn't have a, a lot to hang our hat on besides, you know, all the work we had done. We weren't one of these other giant, you know, billion dollar companies were in that race. And so we spiraled that into the civilian hunting market and basically, you know, the camouflage that is now extremely popular in, in the hunting world was extensively tested by the department of defense. And it's uh, selectively used by, you know, U.S. spec ops, both Army and, uh, and Navy special warfare, and then also coalition spec ops. And, um, yeah, I guess that, you know, that that camo, out of that camo deal and us being down selected, even though the, the military um, or the DOD, rather, didn't award the tender and we didn't get the big home run win, we got an enormous amount of lift with an extremely credible and proven um effective camouflage pattern so you know i think in a nutshell that's kind of like where cryptic really started to to take off and it started to move from what was a hobby for us into like this is this is a real deal and we can hang our hat on it and that's kind of when we started to get the confidence to say you know what we're going to do this and it's going to become a full-time engagement yeah, so it kind of start at the time of uh when uh, the US military and picked us up, uh, and we were down selected, I think. So
0: the people that don't know, um, I I started I wore your guy's camo for the first three or four years and then off and on uh since then I was actually wearing it. I killed my high country buck in eighteen. And uh you know, my relationship and friendship with you guys is one of those if you, you know, called me in Oregon and said you gotta bury 10 bodies, I'd be like, well, let me go grab some extra trash bags and shovels. Right. It's pretty, pretty close. And, and, and I've been there, you know, since the beginning and I have my own, you know, views of what I see, you know, this is the hunting industry and kind of like when people ask me, what was the biggest surprise? Like, what did you learn getting in the hunting industry? And I'll keep that to myself, but for you two, and I, I, Claycorn described it very well. Claycorn and I are very much cut from the same, cloth and and Clayhorn's more of a a non-commissioned officer and you're a commissioned officer and and Clayhorn could be said he's a little bit more rough around the <laughs> edges and runs to the sound of gunfire more than anyone I know. What are your <laughs> what would you say the biggest surprise as you got into the outdoor industry? What would you where were you like fuck I can't believe this? Like what what were some of the things that just blew you away once you started getting into it pretty heavy? Both of you guys, Clay Gordon, you, have to, you actually have to talk now. Okay, oh, great. <laughs> <clears throat>
2: um, for me, it was, you know, you spent your whole life with the brotherhood that you rely on and that you trust and everyone says what they're going to do and that does what they say. And Coming in the business world and hunting industry, for me, it was a quick learning experience on that's not the case in the hunting industry or slash business. A lot of people are full of shit and say they're going to do something and then turn around and backstab you. So that was my big learning curve, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think that that's really. It was surprising and and disappointing. I mean, it doesn't take much to get stabbed in the back within the industry. And you know, our our original you know third party cut and sew partners, you know, were had their hands in our pocket and we didn't even know it. I mean, we've had, you know, several examples of, you know, just people that uh, say one thing and do another and the Claycorn's point when you come from a culture where, you know, if you say you're gonna be on the objective at zero three hundred in the morning, I mean you're gonna you're gonna be on the objective and your word means a lot and a handshake means a lot or used to mean a lot before COVID nineteen, but uh <laughs> but you know what I mean. I mean um At the the end of the day, that's been a a learning curve where you come from that background and that's all you know. And that's what you grew up in. And um, your integrity and and your reputation is your most prized commodity when you're in the military. Your reputation precedes you. And, you know, hopefully people, uh, if it's good, you know, they've heard about you from others, you don't have to tell it and you don't say it, whereas, you know, back into the, this industry, that could be, you know, quite different, um, you know, the, uh, narcissism and other things has also been something that, you know, we've struggled with and potentially m- missed the boat on some opportunity because we did set so quietly and uh, and just kind of said, you know, We've been there, we've done that, got a chest full of medals from the Department of Defense for fighting and winning our nation's battles. We don't need to stand up and toot our own horn. So, you know, there's there's quite a bit of difference in, in many cases uh, through our little a short snippet here in the industry history in the last 10 years.
0: You know, a good example of that, and we're kind of in the same boat in some ways, Kafaru was, uh, you know, we sell to... Damn. Anyway, we we sell the tier one groups and all kinds of people. We don't fluff it. Right. Like the, the last thing I'm ever going to do is, you know, hey, you know, Navy SEALs want our backpacks. Well, it's so normal for, you know, SEALs or whoever to order our packs. It's just kind of one of those things. And one thing I noticed was you know, I see this giant sales ad from another company and it's like, you know, Navy SEALs want our packs. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> And, you know, I, and I'm, you know, whatever, (laughs) I'm not, not, you know, whatever your marketing strategy is, by all means, I'm not, I'm not, um, downplaying that. I'm just saying, I'm like, well, Christ on a cracker, we've been selling to seals and, you know, Delta and whoever else, right. For, for years. Like I, I thought, man, that's kind of, you know, when you, yeah, I, and I was, I was in the army, but I mean, when you're selling someone else's trident so to speak or whatever i'm like man that's fucking bullshit but it it works in some ways and you're right if you if you stand back and just turn your head down at it you sometimes get past because of your own moral beliefs and that shit happens daily and i saw it happen to you guys where i'm like well fuck these guys were that it and, and then i'm like well whatever you can't win that battle like there's you know you can't do a whole lot about it sometimes. And I i mean, I was there with you guys when some of that was going on. And of course there's behind the scenes phone calls and of course, as we're talking, they're making money, but whatever. I mean, it, it, you gotta have to have some morals, I guess.
1: Hey, I, listen, as much as a trigger pour and run into the sun of gunfire that you mentioned with Claycorn, he actually talked me off <laughs> of a press release that I wanted to write. I've never been more angry in my life when a competitor, uh, we'll keep unnamed, named, came out with a big press release how they were making and selling rain gear and other gear for Navy Special Warfare. And it was all bullshit because we were doing that. And we knew the guys inside. And I literally started a, a press release, a, an article that I was going to kick out called um, Stolen Valor at the Corporate Level. That was the title of it. And I was so angry about the whole scenario because that's what we were doing. And in that culture, you just, you don't tout it. And and somebody came out with this complete bullshit. And it basically, what it turned out to be was some guys had bought some gear with their impact card. And they turned that and spun it with a shred of truth into this giant bullshit story. And literally, Claycorn is like, no, don't do it, man. Don't do it. It's the first time he's like backed off of a fight. I think the only time ever that I've seen him backed off a fight.
0: I can attest to that, by the way. Do you? <laughs> you
1: remember when you two, the first time you guys uh, at Wild Sheep when they first started the backpack races, and you guys decided you were gonna uh, you to do
0: some training? Well, man, go ahead. <laughs>
1: So I got pulled aside the next morning from somebody in the industry after, you know, here we are watching this backpack race at the Peppermill. And the next thing you know, we turn around and Claycorn and Frick and Schneider are rolling around on the ground, choking each other out in front of like 500 people thinking that they're really fighting. And uh, they were really just, you know, wrestling and playing around, doing what the military guys do when they decide they want to see who knows, you know, the best uh yeah. And, <laughs> and,
0: and the next thing, I a I black left. eye on my fucking passport because of Clayhorn.
1: Yeah. Well, the next morning, uh, Dan Catlin from the Wildlife Gallery, who you know he's an awesome, great guy, and on the Cryptic Pro staff as well, and he pulled me aside and he's like, "Hey, you guys can't be doing this shit. That is not acceptable. This this is a different climate. These guys are." high-end, straight-lake, you know, that type of thing. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, you know, talked to Claycorn about it. and like, you know, I think we really messed up. You and Schneider really got out of control (laughs) and were beating the shit out of each other. And I kid you not. Listen, here's here's the punchline. So about three or four hours later, here comes Gray Thornton, who's the president of Wild Sheep Foundation, and um, Doug Sayer, who's the chairman of the board. To the booth, and they're like, "That was awesome," and I'm like, "What?" And they're like, "That was awesome. That was that was what we need. We need new, exciting, young. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much, you know, for bringing this new energy to the banquet and stuff. And it went from this like shun moment where we're like, "Oh man, we really crossed some lines here. We're not sure how this is going to go." To like, "Hey, that's the best thing that's ever happened to, to Wild Sheep Foundation," but. To your point, Aaron, I think you had a, a black eye that uh, was pretty prominent there for a while coming on that, if I recall correctly. Uh,
0: that is correct. Uh, in fact, I don't know, Claycorn, you might disagree. I feel I won that battle, but you won the war uh, because I may have tied <laughs> you in a knot, but I had a fucking black eye for like a week, and uh, <laughs> you, you rocked me. I remember – now, I will say uh, – You were a bit inebriated. I was sober as a judge. Um, You may have been a bit more than a bit inebriated, but I shot in on a double leg, and you fucking rocked me with an uppercut. And I was like, "Oh, that hurt, son of a bitch!" And uh, (laughs) but the the problem. It was a complete reaction and accident. Well, that is a Were lie you? because you reached between my legs and grabbed my nutsack, which is what started the whole fucking problem to begin with. <laughs> because now I will clay Clayhorn likes to fight, which is not good around me because I also like to to scrap as well. And so the issue is is in the industry, and I've learned this the hard way because I've had to ratchet back several several steps. When you're raised the way that all of us were raised, there is a an initial beef. You talk to someone or whatever, and Klighorn and I have never had a beef, but meaning there's a point you cross from a verbal insult to where it's going to turn physical. But anymore nowadays, that line is gone. You can't, you can't settle things how I was raised, you settle it. meaning you're not just going to go beat the shit out of everyone, but once you cross a line... Then you've crossed that, and you're going to get your ass kicked, or, or you're going to have to defend yourself. And it's it's difficult for me but from the way I was raised and everything else that I can't cross that line anymore. When someone, when when that line is crossed, I just have to sit and take it, and and I can't say anything. Where you know it, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't raised that way. And and the problem with Josh and I is, is he and I beat the shit out of each other and went, and he grabbed a drink and. Well, the next day you made us walk around like we were holding hands that everything was okay because you thought that people thought there was infighting, but (laughs) I mean, it was never an issue for me growing up, and even today for two guys to scrap it out and be totally fine the next day. Now the police come, you're on Channel Nine News, CNN's talking about it. You don't know what the fuck is going to (laughs) happen, and it. I wasn't raised that way, and so that was the big issue. Is to me. And I can't remember, I think security guards were poking us towards the end there and we were telling them to get the fuck away. And the next thing you know, obviously we had to break it up because it was a much bigger issue than we thought it was. But at that time I was somewhat naive thinking, we're at a sheep show. It's a bunch of grown ass men. It's not that big of a deal. And I was way wrong in the sense of, I still hear about that shit to this day. Like, remember that one time? I'm like, yeah, I remember. Fuck it. Wasn't that big of a deal, Yeah. but it was to everyone else or a lot of people.
1: It was definitely a paradigm shift for um, for uh, Cheap Show, I can guarantee it. That thing's grown immensely since then, too, you know. I mean, we've we've been fortunate to have a lot of other brands come in that are much larger and well-established in the industry, but, um, yeah, it's very prim and proper, you know, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, as I'm talking about this, um, and again, Butch, you're a bit more civilized than, than Josh and I, but... Josh, you're much more of the mentality. And I know, Butch, you are as well when there's when someone isn't insulting you or your family or whatever. There's a certain time where the verbal line goes out the window and the physical line is is uh needs to be crossed. But uh, I mean, Josh, I know you feel the same way I do, but you're, you're probably a little bit more grown up, which is a good thing. Has that been, Josh, a big issue for you um, throughout the last, you know, several years?
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely. He <Who laughs> wants to beat the shit out of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, like you said, once you once you're in this industry or in business, then you know, just like you know, guys in the team, and you know, you have your issues, and you settle it out in the team room or wherever, and you're back to protecting each other. You and I are just buddies, and we're just having fun at, at, at the moment, but there are a bunch of jackasses in this industry and, um, that, yeah, unfortunately you can't cross that line because then, you know, there's legal or company ramifications Well, that would follow. And plenty people know that. And then they act the way they do, but I guess that's, that's the way of life today and the way of life of business.
0: I actually just did a, a podcast recently with, um, somebody I used to work with and, um, you know, my temper got brought up into the, because the, I, you know, I've had some, you know, occasionally I have a blow up, uh, you know, at least twice a year. And at one point in time, I ripped the steering <laughs> wheel off my Tundra and I told this story so <laughs> people could relate to it. It wasn't like I'm a badass. I ripped my Tundra. Off. I totally lost my shit and I ripped the steering wheel off my Tundra. It was fucking expensive to fix because I broke the steering column too. It was one of those adjustable ones. And the thing that, being able to go to that numb area where fear just leaves, for the most part, isn't a horrible thing in certain situations. But now, man, I'm counting sheep and shit. Like, you know, I'm I'm have like talk about my feelings. It's fucking weird for me because I'm just not used to that. But being in this industry, one of the reasons I don't go to um, go to shows is um, there's a few different people in the industry that have irritated me enough that I know, you know, I'm gonna have to get you guys to come over and choke me out because they've done (laughs) such you know, there's been such wrongdoings done towards me or Kafaru that I know I might take that to another level, which I know you guys have the the (laughs) same same kind of issue. So it it is it is unique. I'm the
2: exact same way. I don't want to go to fucking shows anymore because of the idiots (laughs) that are there, but what's the snake of me? Because you gotta go. Like no I'm a liability. I'm not doing shows anymore. I'm waiting for the point where I don't have to go to shows anymore. For that exact reason.
0: Well, at one point in time, <laughs> I was I was thinking about going to work for you guys, and I think Butch, when you wrote up my job description, one of them was I had to keep Claycorn under control. Uh, I think it was like line <laughs> item twelve. So, <laughs> like, man, that's yeah, a tall I'm, fucking order. I,
1: believe I rem- yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's that's a true statement. Uh, actually, my thought was if you were uh, going to come up to to Boise, Idaho, and, and join us, uh, that you guys would, you know, cause a lot of trouble, so I would, that was my way of just saying, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, it's like throwing gas on a fire type thing.
0: Well, so, I, I do remember at one point, I won't mention names, but something happened, and I remember the guy saying, what, uh, Josh, you're pro staff's going to kick my pro staff's ass. And Josh was like, yeah, you're fucking right. They are. And I'm like, huh, this is cool. Yeah. I like this guy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah.
1: The, there was, there was, uh, some interesting conversations for sure. Where it was like standing up, uh, we'll put our pro staff against your pro staff and, you know, we'll do a, a hundred mile, um, navigation course, you know, from point A to point B and, or something along those lines. And, and then once you get there, you know, uh, we're also going to do some hand-to-hand combat and make this whole... If it would have been filmed, actually, it could have probably been a reality show, but it never materialized. So, you know, to that point, Aaron, I mean, our pro staff, uh, we do have a lot of um, still to this day. Another delineation of their brand is uh, active duty, uh, tier one guys that are, are downrange pulling triggers and actually also providing... Uh, field testing and stuff. We got we've got a pretty interesting pro staff. They don't they don't they're not keyboard warriors. We don't get much if anything with regards to social media, which is main staple these days. But um, we do have a pretty elite uh, section within our pro staff that are actually on um, tip of the spear guys. And then some of them, as they transition out, they can become more vocal and and more visible. But um, yeah, we've got a, a pretty elaborate pro staff for sure.
2: No, oh, yeah, I, I remember that conversation. I think the comment at one of the banquets was, How many of your pro staff have killed whatever inch sheep? You know, oh, yeah, <laughs> jackass. And I said, Well, how many of your pro staff have hatched people while while they slept? <laughs> so, um, so, you know, everyone has their priorities. So while your pro staff are out killing sheep, yeah. my pro staff are out doing God's work. So, yeah, yeah so fuck off and go
0: back to your table yeah hood rat shit yeah and and that's you know when you look at a lot of the different stuff in the industry you know like sheep hunts man they're not free right they're they're pretty expensive and that's kind of a rich man's sport to a certain you know degree where obviously we grew up just Mm -hmm. elk and mule deer or whatever and I mean it's cool to go on those those hunts but the elitism was one of the things I you know, looked at. I was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I know I could kill a sheep, uh, a dull sheep, but I fucking can't afford it. Like, it, it's expensive. And you get you, um, you, Butch. You were stationed in Alaska for quite a while. In fact, you shot what was that ram? 15, 16 years old.
1: Yeah, he was. He was um, north of thirteen is where the biologist stopped at. But uh, yeah, that was the luxury of living in Alaska for seven years. And actually, you know, when I was there, that's where cryptic. Started and formed the original documents were we um, were an Alaska based company. But, you know, those over the counter sheep tags uh, for residents, I mean, that's really super hard to beat. And that ram is definitely was ancient and a giant. It was a, you know, 40 mile round trip, you know, DIY hunt that cost, uh, but it really cost uh, the, the amount of a bush plane to get in and out, you know. So, it was, it was reasonable and, and, uh, and very affordable. But, um, I do know and understand what you're saying with regards to a lot of these other hunts, unless you can draw a tag, which is super hard, they just uber expensive to go on for sure. You know? So I personally love to hunt mule deer more than anything. Clayhorn is like super uber enamored, uh, with, uh, Africa. He always has been, he always was, you know, when, when we, uh, would sit around and, and, uh, and talk about hunting. I mean, he knew more about Africa at that time without having ever actually gone on hunts there because he just poured himself into all the books and stuff. But I think now, you know, he spends more time going over to Africa than anything else when it comes to hunting. So, but I grew up, uh, mule deer hunting and that, you know, that was a family vacation for us. And I think that's part of the reason why it's still so important to me was, you know, we didn't, we didn't go to Disneyland or go anywhere. We went to hunting camp and, and, uh, you know, two weeks out of school a year and that was our family vacation. And so that for me, I mean, the culture of mule deer hunting is, you know, probably my number one species, but, um, and doesn't cost nearly as much to your point.
0: For sure on that. Um, one thing, uh, just cause we're you know, working on 35 minutes here. One of the things I want to talk about was the the clothing. And I get quite asked a, a lot about, um, you know, clothing just because I'm constantly, I get to hunt more than just about anybody I know. And and this COVID is fucking it up. I've had to cancel three hunts already. And, Josh, you just said you got your Africa trip canceled, didn't you?
2: Yeah, supposed to be there in four weeks for Leopard and Buff. And that's a an no-go now.
0: <laughs> well, they, um. Yeah, the,
1: and hold on, hold on, hold on. To caveat that, when we're talking about how expensive hunts are, people are going to hear leopard and buff and go, well, what the heck? You know, that's super expensive. But claycorn is married to a South African girl whose family has several concessions. So it's kind of like, to my point, he's going hunting with his family, right? So I so just want him to throw that out.
0: <laughs> Actually, what on that note, uh, Josh and I had talked about this briefly yesterday I think four or five times was a charm for me. It sounds like you knocked it out of the park on this one, Josh. Is this a keeper?
2: Yes, third time's a charm. <laughs> I was taking a lot of mistakes to, to finally hit a home run, but by all means. Uh, <laughs> five, yeah, after I, I three times, I found a soulmate.
0: Oh, uh, that's good. Uh, my soulmate's Italian, and let me tell you, when she's drinking, you will lose an eye because I did not realize how much Italians talk with their hands. <laughs> And uh there uh, she's got South
2: a fowl.
0: Oh uh, you guys you would really like Amy. She is she's a live wire and I've recently got her into hunting and, and uh she's I think I've created a monster monster 'cause I, I literally by social media terms or status, she shot seven animals. She literally could be an insta-famous uh, huntress now because she's killed seven in two years. So I, I should start pushing her that way so she can whatever up her Instagram game. But she hates that shit so much she makes fun of it all the time. She has been super good for me and definitely helping me on the adulting side of things. But as as far as on the the actual the camo the patterns and the clothing, um, one a lot of people already know you know about Highlander and um, Typhon and and Mandrake the different patterns you guys have, but altitude. It's something I really um, try to stress to people that is about as state of the art and uh, performance driven. Uh, I'm a huge fan of shoulder Dynamic Fabric. The rain gear, in my opinion, while it is expensive, is by far the rest, best rain gear on the market. It's pretty unbelievable. You guys, that was a bit of a pain in the ass to get going, wasn't it? Shoulder had never been printed in camo. Um, it's expensive. I had used it in the backpacking and hunting world before I started wearing camo, just because it was so durable and lasted so long. But what kind of epic clusterfuck was that to get cranking? Was
1: a pain in
2: the ass? It's still a really. pain in the ass.
1: Yeah, the, the shoulder piece to your comment, we are the only hunting brand that has uh, a, a deal with shoulder. And there's lots of awesome brands that make great gear that are out there you know arteric solomon black diamond may they may or may not be hunting friendly so it was an enormous undertaking on our part for on a number of fronts i mean the printing is done in germany and that took us the better part of well over a year to get set up it's wet printed the entire collection of the shower fabrics is wet printed but the lead times on the fabric are pretty long um the, the logistics associated with the program are extensive, and the fabric itself, as you know, Aaron, I mean, it's it's very very expensive. But it is like this pinnacle of durability meets performance. You know, so I personally am 100% confident in the in the hunting industry. The Cryptic Altitude Collection is the most premium collection that is truly you know bang for buck. But it is—it's got an, its an enormous amount of, and has been very painful to say the least, uh, for sure.
0: On that, uh, so for people looking, one of the things that with the shoulder that that people need to understand, and and there's nothing wrong with like a, you know, a polyester pant with uh, you know lycra or spandex in it. But what happens with the shoulder is it dries extremely fast, and it it's kind of weird because it breathes well, but it also blocks out wind, which is kind of a uh, oxymoron or double standard but it, it does extremely well it's an extremely abrasion resistant you know when you talk about like the uh, the blends up above you kind of get the best of both worlds uh, with the fleece there's a bit of merino um, in those and so it has the stink factor where it helps get that out you can walk it dry relatively easy. The heat retention is something astronomical. It's in the high 90% range for heat retention when it's wet, you know, but it's, it's one of those investment things. And I, I've tried to preach this to guys that, you know, you don't need, I mean, obviously I want you to own 40 to 50 backpacks and I'm sure you guys want them to own everything in your line. But when you're looking at something as expensive as the altitude line, you just there's there's not this four million skus there's probably even more than you guys want you need a rain gear uh you need a you know like a a soft shell you need a fleece layer a base layer that's all you need you can only pack so much shit in so having Mm -hmm. like 400 skus a lot of that is fluff you just it's it's a bare bones what you actually need um you know puffy jacket rain gear fleece and it will last a very, very long, you know, time. It does extremely well. But you guys also um I you know, when I say like the altitude obviously is the upper echelon line, when you bridge down your your next line, you have like the Caldo Rain Gear and then I think it's I don't know if I'm pronouncing it, the Sirius or Sirius Puffy. You guys offer quite mm-hmm. a wide range for anyone from whitetail hunting. I killed a huge buck in Oklahoma. And I was wearing the um, the Anorak fleece, and then uh, also I mm-hmm. believe I had the fleece pants on as well. But when you guys are, you know, doing this, you're trying to cater to hunters, as whereas well guys in the tactical arena and everything, what kind of a pain in the ass is that? You know, when you're coming out with a new product to to, to know if it's going to sell or not, because uh, your your views may be different than others and all that.
1: Well, it's grown, and to your point covered early season, hot weather into, you know, um, into fall and, uh, and then also in the, in the extreme cold weather and winter. And some of the, some of those pieces are aspirational, uh, and they're personal and they have not done well to, to the comment you made about the anorak. That's one of my favorite pieces. I think it's Me too, it's stupid nice. I love it. But yet, you know, it has not ripped like, uh, you would expect i mean um you put that up against i think it's retarded but that's just my defense
0: it's because you're short (laughs) you look like a fucking smurf when you wear it i think it's awesome
1: (laughs) yeah i mean you compare it to swazi pieces as well aaron and the pricing on on a you know cryptic anorak compared to a swazi anorak i mean we're really super competitive yeah, you get there's a lot of offering, and we've also been pulled into a direction in areas that we never ever imagined that we would be, and that's back into call it you know the lifestyle and fishing, um, and we've got you know these extreme you know high UPF type uh, fishing shirts that uh, we have in our collection. So it's super broad. I mean, when you start to the original beginning of cryptic and the idea of which is our slogan battlefield the backcountry and it's truly who we are the fiber of of cryptic it's the soul of our brand and what has happened in this thing is that uh, in the middle we've had this like groundswell i'll call it with lifestyle and playpoint and i never imagined that in a hundred years i mean even when we started our relationship and you know over 10 years ago or close to 10 years ago you know lifestyle was never a consideration or option I never imagined that we would have you know Ferraris and Lamborghinis and earth roamers and stuff wrapped in our camo that is just a paint job though ultimately that is just a paint job it goes back to the shoulder discussion I mean it's a paint job that has an enormous amount of authenticity and incredible amount of credibility you know but when you take the paint job off, what is really under the paint? And that's what matters. You know, the fabric selection, the insulation selections, and how well it performs for those various environments. And to your comment, do you need to have, you know, 50,000 pieces because you can only pack so much? The answer is no, but Cryptic has kind of grown into where now we've got guys that are, you know, wearing our stuff on, the, on every. Place there's a port and there's a fishing boat going out, and we never thought in a million years that that would occur. That is also a process of you know some partnerships that we formed specifically with Hook, you know, kind of gotten accelerated in these certain areas that we never thought that we would be in
2: for sure. Well, so the fishing on the lifestyle, because of uh, all the video games, Call of Duty, and Tom Clancy's, and all the mobile duty yeah. games, alone the movies that we're in of led into that whole lifestyle piece for guys or kids that will probably never hunt or never be in the military, but they're associated with critics because of the video games.
0: Same thing, you guys were on The Expendables. Uh, isn't it, They were wearing Typhon, weren't they?
2: We're on, yeah, we're on Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, uh, XXX, um, I mean, t- 20 other movies as well as video games. So, And hell, we're on some new ones coming out as well. And that all happened by chance. It wasn't like we went out and tried
1: to, you know, orchestrate that. I mean, it was, you know, you get an email and they're saying, hey, please check this block. You know, we want to um, use your gear in, in this uh, show. And, and then, you know, in other cases, you know, in Hollywood, it's film testing and they want us to send them fabric. And the next thing you know, you know, Van Diesel X has got, you know, Cryptic and on the bad guys or, you know, just, it's just a, a pretty continuous thing that we really don't even monitor and, and we find out about it after the fact.
0: Oh yeah. And that's gotta be pretty crazy. Looking back where you came from to, to where you are now when you've got Vin Diesel wearing your, your, your camo.
1: <laughs> and Arnold Schwarzenegger and whomever else. I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the point where I'm saying like, you know, if, if you really step back and take a breath and you look at everything, it's humbling. I mean, you start with, uh, a couple soldiers that are, you know, I guess we literally pissed off because they're missing another hunting season, missing the opportunity to go spend time in the back country and, um, wanting to get in the, uh, outdoor industry and then having, you know, a lot of different, pretty miraculous things occur along the life cycle of the brand and being very fortunate about it, you know, so. Some stuff that you, if you sat down and said, Hey, we're going to start this apparel camo company, and you listed these things on a whiteboard, and you had, you know, the world's greatest leaders there, uh, our businessmen, let's say, like Warren Buffett and, and Bill Gates and whomever else you could imagine, put them in the room, and you list out all these things that have occurred along our life cycle, and you say, These are, we're going to go out and do all these things. And then you go, and we're not going to spend any money doing it. We're going to go bootstrap all of it. They would look around and look at you and say, you're absolutely retarded. There's no way. And that's what's happened.
0: So how how much have you guys grown, um, you know, percentage-wise since you started to now? Can you guys quantify that? Not enough. Never <laughs> enough.
1: I don't know. It'd be thousands and of percentages, I mean, that's actually an interesting question to go back and, and look at. You know, for us right now, the focus, there's there's programs that we've put together that, again, aren't in the limelight. And the growth associated with those and the potential, you know, new for 2020. When people say, hey, what's new for Cryptic? There's, there's programs in there that we haven't even pushed or talked about that were done specifically with uh, um, U.S. Army Spec Ops that we're now spiraling into, you know, other coalition, spec ops and, and militaries. And I think that for the growth side, uh, there is like the potential, I should say, there is astronomical and, and it's retarded that, you know, we were lined up to go do some pretty big meetings that should be occurring right now around the globe. In Asia and also in the Middle East, and uh, those have been stalled because of COVID-19. But uh, yeah, the the growth factor—I guess to answer your question—with where we started now is significant. It went from a concept to a hobby, and a hobby for a number of years to fruition, and then um, and then the growth that's associated on the tactical side of Cryptic is like pretty significant. It's pretty immense, and we spend a lot of time. In other countries, uh, and talking with and and interacting with uh, you know organizations that you know people don't even know exist. Quite literally, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's it's significant. The growth's been significant, and hopefully, to Clayhorn's comment, will continue to be significant.
0: Once the COVID nineteen everything stops, are you guys looking? I mean, you got a lot of irons in the fire. Are, are you going to try to expand the hunting line more, let it ride? Or are you going to, you kind of answered the question a little bit a second ago, but are you just going to try to go full force with the tactical and the hunting? And, and it sounds like you guys are kind of up in your game, bringing on more people as far as customer service, bringing a lot of stuff in-house. It's kind of dynamic, I guess, is all, all that's kind of happening at one time right now, isn't it?
1: Well, both on hunting and also on the tactical side. Um, the, the hunting side is, Uh, where our our passion is and our love and, you know, what we, you know, love to do. And we do have a lot of things that uh, are underway in development um, right now that will bring the market soon. So that's going to continue. And and it's really kind of both sides. I envision at some point that we'll actually have two uh, divisions with individuals that are solely focused, uh, whether it's uh, military, law enforcement, tactical, and hunting, but they maintain the same voice of brand. Um, so you know it's not going one way or the other. I think it's going to continue to go with improving and increasing our line uh, and offerings, and 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 making them better, and continue to refine construction and fabric and performance, and also price. So yeah, it's a, a dual-pronged um, brand for sure. That it has its foot in both spaces. And, I've, and I think that you'll get this and you know this, Aaron, but maybe some of the listeners might not. I mean, on the hunting side, our primary competitors wouldn't know who our primary competitors are on our tactical side. I mean, if you ask, you know, somebody in the hunting industry who is Cry Precision, they would look at your craft side. And vice versa. I think if you ask somebody at Cry Precision who, you know, another brand in, in this space is, they, they wouldn't know either but that's the landscape of, of our brand and that's you know where we deal or where we operate
0: yeah and i know who cry precision is because they're a pain the ass to deal with and uh <laughs> <laughs> we just with with me being in the hunting hunting industry as an individual and then me being the president of kafaru i'm dealing with the same people that that you are and, and it's it's crazy because when you talk about you know marketing Marketing's expensive it's really expensive when you're marketing to both uh, when you talk about it uh, mm-hmm. you know raw goods yeah that's really expensive because you're dealing with both or, or competing against both um so it is it is a pain and you guys have recently hired some new people as well it, just with the expansion and the growth which is is good you can only um, load your ruck up with so many so many rocks before they're over overflowing and uh, you guys have had full rucksacks for quite a while so that's right
1: you did it's true. And a lot of those rocks, you know, are falling out as you're going up the trail. So, yeah, we brought in some great new talent uh, on the customer service side. We brought that in-house. We also brought our distribution back. You know, when this started as a hobby, uh, we were in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, with an outfit called PowerTex. And that's been now brought to Boise, Idaho and co-located with us. And we've added a lot of amazing back office personnel that will never be Uh, on a podcast or in front of a camera um, that are rock stars, um, you know, executive level types as well. So it's nice uh, to get organized. It's also been extremely painful and, you know, and a lot of work, a whole lot of work. So, um, yeah, we're growing and and we're feeling good about it.
0: Well, no, that's good. Well, we're about to hit an hour here. Um, You guys have anything you want to you want to add before we, we hop off where can they, where they can find you guys on social media, the website, um, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, www.cryptic.com, k r y t t e k, and then uh, on Instagram and Facebook, it's uh, Cryptek Outdoor Group. So check us out, and uh, Aaron, thank you for your time, and thank you for having us on, man. Look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Oh, yeah, no, no problem at all. And then, uh, Josh, I believe you've put on some size, so uh, if we have round two, uh, it might be a different outcome. Uh, What are your stats right now, Josh? Are you still bulking up? It is that season.
2: Well, with COVID, all the gyms are closed, so now it sucks.
0: (laughs) Oh, cool. Well, man, I appreciate
1: it. I'll brag on him. He came in here just before COVID hit and the Idaho state governor shut the state down, and he's like, yeah, I just put up 405 like three times, and, you know, he he's uh, he's definitely in the gym working it, working it. That's
0: for sure. <laughs> I may not shoot in on a double leg this time because when I did at that time, I think you were a solid 175 pounds. What are you weighing now? 230. Sweet. Jesus. Yeah. All right. So uh, on that note, um, I appreciate you guys coming on. Everybody, check out uh, you Cryptic. Definitely, if you're looking for a, a very elite, um, you know, mountain hunting line, backpacking line, I would seriously take a look at the altitude as well as some of the other uh, garments that they offer. So either way, I appreciate it, guys. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can hook up soon. Thanks again.
2: Appreciate hey, you. And miss you.
0: Yeah, miss you too. No homo.